for me. I'm still on an Apple II C. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right. Tonight I said I wanted to share an unusual lesson with you. The Game of Thrones. And you might think, wow, how's that going to fit into anything biblical? Um, I want to mention I'm not a, necessarily a fan of Game of Thrones at all. But there's millions that are. And it has uh, gained an awful lot of popularity. So, I just thought I would capitalize on the name. On the title, that's probably the better term. And because I like that title. And it has a biblical emphasis. And I'm going to call this the Golden Goblet. Um, we're not going to be looking at Peter Baelish. We're not going to be looking at Littlefinger. Not going to be looking at any of that. Uh, that's not where we're going to go for advice tonight. But we are going to be looking at it from a biblical standpoint. From Genesis to Revelation. This really is a story about spiritual warfare. And it's going to be presented in a way that's different than most spiritual warfare. But we're going to cover the story from beginning to end. Now, you're going to have to use your imagination for a little bit. But if you'll use your imagination and if you'll follow me, all of the pieces will fall into place. So we're going to begin with imagining flames are leaping from a hill. Pillows of smoke are floating upward. Orange tongues crack and pop. And from the midst of the blaze comes a yell. It's the protest of a prisoner. The dungeon door is locked. The roar of a lion as he feels the heat of the burning jungle. The cry of a lost son as he looks for his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words ricochet from star to star. They crash into the chamber of the king. Couriers from a bloody battlefield, they stumble into the king's presence. Bruised and broken, they plea for help. They plea for relief. The soldiers of the king, they prepare to attack. They mount their steeds. They position their shields. They draw their swords. But the king is silent. It's the hour for which he is planned. He knows the course of action. He's awaited those days and those words since the beginning. Since the first poison was smuggled into the kingdom. And how did it get there? It came camouflaged. It came in a golden cup with a long stem. It was in the flavor of fruit. It came not in the hands of a king. It came in the hands of a prince. The prince of the shadows. And until this moment, there had never been a reason to hide in the garden. The king, he walked with his children. The children, they knew their king and there were no secrets. 
there were no shadows. And then the Prince of Shadows entered the garden. He had to hide himself. He was too ugly, too repulsive. Craters marred his face. And so he came in darkness. He came encircled in ebony. He was completely hidden. And only his voice could be heard. Taste it. Taste it. You'll like it. That's what he whispered as he held the goblet before her. It's sweet. It's sweet with wisdom. The daughter heard the voice and she turned. She was intrigued. Her eyes had never seen a shadow. There was something tantalizing about his hiddenness. The king watched. His army knew the Prince of Shadows. Why, there would be no contest for their mighty legion. So eagerly they awaited the command to attack. But no command was given. The choice is hers, the king instructed. If she turns to us for help, well, that's your command. Go and deliver her. And if she doesn't turn, if she doesn't look to me, don't. The choice is hers. The daughter stared at the goblet. Rubies embedded in gold filigree invited her to touch. The words of the prince had captured her. Taste it. The warning of the king was ignored. Wine wooed her to taste. She reached out and she took and she drank the cup. She drank the poison. And her eyes never looked up. The venom rushed through her, distorting her vision, scarring her skin, twisting her heart. And she ducks into the shadow of the prince. And suddenly, she was lonely. She, uh, she missed the in intimacy that she was made to know. And yet, rather than return to the king, she chose to lure another away from him. She replenished the goblet. She offered it to the sun. Once again, the army snapped into position. Once again, it listened for the command of the king. But his words were the same. If he looks to me, then rush to him. And if he doesn't, then don't go. The choice is his. The daughter placed the goblet into the hands of the king. It's all right, she assured. Why, it's sweet. You'll like it. The sun looked at the delight that danced in her eyes. And behind her stood a silhouetted figure. Who is he? the sun asked. Drink it. She insisted. Her voice was husky, and it was seductive with desire. The goblet was cold against Adam's lips. The liquid burned his innocence. Is there more? He requested. You mean that's all that there is? He ran his fingers through the bottom of the cup to get the dregs and put them in the bottom of his mouth. The soldiers looked to their king for instruction. His eyes were moist. 
It looked as though tears were forming as he turned his head. Bring me your sword. The words riveted through the heavens. The general dismounted. He stepped quickly toward the throne. He extended the unsheathed blade before the king. It dazzled in the sunlight, a heavenly sign of authority. The king didn't take it. He merely touched it. And as the tip of his finger encountered the top of the sword, the iron grew orange with heat. It grew brighter and brighter until it blazed and it appeared as though it had been taken from a roaring furnace. The general held the fiery sword. He awaited the king's command. There was a hushed tone. It came in the form of an edict. Their choice will be honored. Where there is poison, there will be death. And where there are goblets, there will be fire. Let it be done. The general galloped to the garden. He took his post at the gate. The flaming sword proclaimed that the kingdom of light would never again be darkened by the passing of shadows. The king hated the shadows. He hated them because in the shadows, the children, well, they could not see their king. And the king hated the goblets. He hated them because the goblets made them forget the father. But outside the garden, the circle of the shadows grew larger and larger. More empty goblets littered the ground. From east to west, from north to south, more faces were disfigured, more eyes saw distortedly, more souls were twisted, and purity was forgotten, and all sight of the king was lost. And no one remembered that once there was a kingdom without shadows. In their hands were the goblets, the goblets of selfishness, self-centeredness, in morality and pride. On their lips was the litany of the lyre. Taste it. It's sweet. You'll like it. Mm -mm -mm. Good. And true to the words of the king, where there was poison, there was death. And where there was goblets, there was fire. Until the day, the king sent his prince. And the same fire that ignited the sword now lit a candle and placed it amidst the shadows. His arrival, the day the king sent his prince, was like that of the goblet bearer. It did not go unnoticed. A star was how his coming was announced. A bright light in a dark sky, a light and a life to a dark broken world. A diamond glittering in the dirt. Burn brightly, my son, whispered the king. Many times the prince of light was offered the goblet. At times it came in the hands of those who had abandoned the king. Oh, just a taste, my friend. The deceit, the deception. And with anguish, Jesus would look into the eyes of those who tried to tempt him. What is the poison 
that would make a prisoner try to kill the very one who came to release him. The goblet, it still bore the seductive flavor of promised power and pleasure, but to the sun of light, its odor was vile. The stench of death enveloped the goblet, while the very sight of the goblet so angered the prince that he knocked it out of the hand of the tempter, leaving the two alone, locked in an intense glare often referred to as the stare-down of the ages. I will taste the poison, swore the king's son. For this I have come, but the hour will be mine to choose, and it will be on my terms at my time. Time passed. There were more encounters with the Prince of Shadows. When, finally, that hour came, the sun went for one last visit with the father. He met him in another garden, a garden of gnarled trees, stony soil, and a darkened sky. And after a brief interlude, his voice reaches out. Does it have to be this way? It does, my son. You mean there's no one else that can do it? The king swallowed hard. None but you. You mean I have to drink the cup? Yes, my child. You have to drink the cup. The cup of poison. You have to drink the bitter dregs of the cup. He looked at the Prince of Light. The darkness will be great, like that before the world was created. He passed his hand over the spotless face of his son. The pain will be awful, like never has ever been experienced. And then he paused, and he looked at his darkened dominion. And when he looked up, his eyes were moist, and tears were filling his eyes. But there is no other way. The sun looked into the stars as he heard the answer. Then, let it be done. And slowly, the words that would kill the son began to come from the lips of the Father. Hour of death, moment of sacrifice. It is your moment, rehearsed a million times on counterfeit altars with false lambs, the moment of truth has come. He looked at the soldiers. Soldiers? Do you think you lead him? Ropes? Do you think you bind him? Men, do you think you're the ones who sentence him? He heeds not your words. He winces not at your lashes. Your threats do not intimidate him. It's my voice that he obeys. It's my condemnation that he dreads. And it is your soul that he saves. Oh, my son, oh, my child, look up into the heavens and see my face before I turn it and hear my voice before I silence it. 
Would that I could save you and them. But they don't see and they don't hear. The living must die so that the dying can live. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the prince that is my equal, saith Jehovah of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Zechariah 13 and 7. The word shake the gates of hell. Darkness is preparing to cover the earth. The time has come to kill the lamb. Here is the cup, my son, the cup of sorrows. The cup of sin. Slam, hammer. Be true to your task. Let your ring be heard throughout the heavens. Lift him up, soldiers. Lift him high above the people. The people that curse his name. And now plunge the tree deep into the earth and plunge it deep into the heart of humanity. And deep into the strata of time past and deep into the seeds of time future. Is there no angel to save my Isaac? Is there no hand to redeem the Redeemer? Here's the cup, my son. Drink it. Drink it alone. Drink the darkened droplets of poison. Drink the bitter dregs of the cup. God must have wept as He performed His task. Every lie, every lure, every lust, Every act done in the shadows was in that cup. Slowly, hideously, they were absorbed into the body of the Son. The final act of incarnation. The spotless Lamb was blemished. Flames began to lick His feet. And the King obeys His own edict. Where there is poison, there will be death. And where there are goblets, there will be fire. The final moment has arrived. The king must turn his back on his son. The king turns away from the prince. The undiluted wrath of a sin-hating father falls upon the sin-filled son. The icy displeasure of a sin-hating God has reached its zenith. Sin has consumed him in an act that broke the heart of the Father and yet honored the holiness of heaven, sin-purging judgment flowed over the sinless Son of the ages. The fire envelops Him. The shadows hide Him. The poison has disfigured Him beyond that of any human being and His form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah 53 and 2. The Son looks for the Father, but the Father cannot be seen. Words echo in the darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Come, ten thousand angels, come and take this wounded one to the cradle of his Father's arms. The throne room is dark and cavernous. The eyes of the king are closed. He's resting. And in his dream, he's again in the garden. The cool of the evening floats across the river. 
as the three walk. They speak of the garden, of how it is, of how it will be. Father, the son begins. The, the king replays the word again and again. Father, Father. The word was a flower, delicate as a lily, tender as a rose, and yet so easily crushed. Oh, how he longed for his children to call him Father again. A noise snaps him from his dream. He opens his eyes, and he sees a transcendent figure standing there gleaming in the doorway. Father, I have come home. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Isaiah 30 in verse 21. I wish somehow I could convey to you my love, my appreciation, and my thankfulness to each one of you for your faith, for your prayers, for your kind words, for your many thoughtful things that have come my way, all as a result of a cherished friendship. I want to conclude this this way. I want you to hear this. One day, every one of us, one by one, we're going to come to the end and we're going to hang our swords on the jasper walls. We're going to find ourselves in the garden of God, where above all of the noise from somewhere in the back of the room, the Prince of Peace, the star that burns brightly, will appear. The very one who would rather die for you than live without you. And he will remove his nail-scarred hands from his heavenly robe and welcome you home. Father, I have come home. Let's pray. Father, in the blessed name of Jesus, we come to you tonight for direction. This is such a crucial time in our life. We look to you for guidance. Father, we know that the world offers all, well, they offer all nature of direction. At times we found that it even comes in a golden goblet. It's not their voice that we look to. We look solely to You. And so we're asking You tonight, Lord God, that You will set our feet on the path that You would have each one of us go and shower our path with light. Lord God, we bring every decision, whatever it may be, that is weighing on us before your throne. We trust you to lead us clearly 
so that we might know exactly which way you want us to go. Your spirit is not one of confusion. Your spirit is one of peace. And so I know that you will give each one of us clarity. I ask for a renewed sense of purpose in our daily choices, knowing that how we spend each moment is how we're going to live our life. And Father, we know that every choice matters. Remind us each morning as our feet touch the floor to commit our day to You. And Father, I ask tonight that Your Holy Spirit would guide each of us in every choice, every day, in the victorious name of the blessed, soon-coming King. Amen. Don't think you'll hear that preached on Sunday morning.